All right, well, I'd like to add my welcome to uh, ZPC on this Memorial Day weekend. We're continuing our True North study where God is our true north. We've been learning about the beliefs and the practices which draw us closer to God, and now we're in this series of learning about the virtues which help us to be more like God, and we're kind of nearing the finish line of that. And on this Memorial Day weekend, we are thankful that we have freedom to worship, uh, freedom to read God's Word, uh, to pray together, and that's, that's good news on this day. We are going to be learning about uh, peace this morning. We're going to learn that from Jesus' own words and his teaching about the Holy Spirit as well in John chapter 14. So let's, let's read from God's Word in John 14. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphaned. I am coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live. You also will live. On that day, you will know that I am in my Father and you in me and I in you. They who have my commandments and keep them are those who love me, and those who love me will be loved by my Father, and I will love them and reveal myself to them. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, on this special day where we have gathered together in your name and in your place, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, as Jerry included in the prayer, you just have to watch the news to know that uh, peace is elusive in our world, around the world, and even at home. And peace can be hard to define as well. Randy Frazee is the author of the books, the Believe series of books, which we're loosely basing this sermon series on. And he says about peace, Most people think about peace. It's more the absence of trouble than the presence of contentment. It's more the absence of trouble than the presence of contentment. He says that's not the case with Christians because he says in the Bible, peace is not really about the subtraction of anything, but the addition of Jesus. It's more about the addition of Jesus into our world and into our lives. So how in a world where we we feel anxiety or worry or struggle in our own lives and maybe a sense of a lack of peace in our own lives, 
where there's civil war in places like Syria, there's threatening war in other places, how can we have peace? And I'd like to say today, I think we can have peace in three ways. First, we can have peace with God because it comes from God, peace with God. And then peace with others, both those who are close to us and those who are maybe far away or who aren't as close to us. We can have peace with God because God gives it in Jesus, as we just read in John. Now, we have a problem, and there needs to be a solution to the problem. We are sinners, and we are in need of a Savior. And I believe because of our sin is oftentimes why we feel a lack of peace, maybe a lack of a sense of purpose at times in our lives, a sense of anxiety or stress or even depression, I think can be a lack of peace or maybe a lack of trust in God in our lives. Scripture says that in our sin, we were even enemies of God, yet through Christ, we can be friends with God and have peace. Now, we don't do life very well when we're on our own. We need help with life, and we need help through God's grace because we are saved by God's grace, which comes simply by faith and in acceptance of what God has done for us through Christ on the cross. So we receive it. We receive his grace as we receive his peace. And then as we do, we can live life uh, with more peace and in gratitude for what God has given us. Jesus said in uh, John 14, 27, we read it a minute ago, uh, as he was saying to his closest friends, to his disciples, and he knew that it was uh, near the end of his life, and he needed to give them more instruction. And he said to them, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. Those are, those are good words, good words to hear. Don't let our hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. Instead, choose peace. Accept the peace and receive the pre- peace that Jesus brings to us. Well, what's that look like? It means trusting in God's goodness. As we see the things in life that, that are struggles, uh, we see them maybe as temporary. We see them as smaller things. We step back and we look at the big picture. We see that God is in control, that God is sovereign that God has a plan for our lives. And so we, while we may be in the midst of struggle right now or in the midst of anxiety or stress or worry, we see that God has a bigger plan in mind and that he loves and cares for each of us. That's part of receiving peace. We read just a few Sundays ago from Philippians 4 where Paul says, when you are anxious, when you worry, Bring your request to God and pray with thanksgiving and praise. And the result of that kind of prayer, when we pray, when we are worried, is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, that peace, he says, surpasses all understanding. It's hard to fathom. It's a little bit of a mystery. But when we pray to God, when we give our burdens to him, he promises us his peace when we trust in him. So we can have peace with God because God gives it to us through Christ, but then we are called to share it with others in our relationships, our relationships close by, and our relationships maybe a little farther apart or farther away. Each of us can be a person of peace. Instead of responding in situations where people are unpeaceful to us with harshness or rudeness, We can practice some of the virtues we've been talking about here at ZPC over the last six weeks or so. 
we can practice things like patience and humility and gentleness and love and faithfulness, perseverance. When we practice these things, it is easier to be a person of peace. Now, we know that we will have conflict. I don't have to have a show of hands. I know that we all have conflict in our lives, whether it's with people right in our own household or, or extended family members who live elsewhere, with coworkers, with, fr- with friends. We will have conflict. And I know that I, I may seem like, you know, a little mild-mannered guy, a very peaceful guy. I have conflict, too. I just want to let you know, so I can relate to you in that. And sometimes I'll kind of play this game in my mind or have these conversations, which then sometimes come out verbally, probably most especially on the people that I love the most. But I can sometimes be a person who is not peaceful. And oftentimes it'll go like this, especially as as my thought train goes. You know, I'm right on this point, and I have to be right. My way is right, and I'm going to win. I'm not going to lose this argument because I'm right. And I need to tell my my point first. I need to get out what I'm going to say, and then I'm not going to listen to you because I'm going to be thinking about what I'm going to say next when you're done talking. I'll wait maybe until you get close to the end of what you're saying. Then I'm going to tell my point again. And if I have to raise my voice or I have to wave my hands or act crazy a little bit, then I'll do it because I'm right. And because I'm right, I will not need to apologize. Right? Right. Okay, so I don't maybe act that out all the time, but I do like to think that way at times. And when I get stuck in that rut of thinking, I know that I need to go back to God and to be a person of peace, or especially when I act that out or act that way with people close to me or far apart from me. So I read in the last two weeks a little bit of a book called uh, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. And some of you are familiar with that book, and if you want to do a little more research, you can look it up, uh, Peacemaker by Ken Sandy. It's a great resource, especially about resolving conflict. Ken Sandy, who is a Christian, says that peacemaking is about resolving conflict in a biblical way uh, by four steps that begin with the letter G. And here they are, and I'm going to explain them just uh, in brief detail just a little bit. They are glorify God, Get the log out of your own eye, gently restore, and go and be reconciled. So the first G, Ken says, is glorify God. So when we're in a a place of conflict, we can ask the question, how can I honor God in this situation? How can I glorify God with my words or maybe my lack of words, with my holding my tongue, with my listening skills, with my actions, the way I treat someone? How can I honor God? In this situation. So the first G is glorify God. Second G, get the log out of your own eye. Get the log out of your own eye. To realize that we are sinners as well and that we very well may have participated in causing some of the conflict. Have I had a critical, negative, or overly sensitive attitude that has led to part of this conflict? And then Ken Sandy says to confess your sin, that we need to confess to God and to others where we have made mistakes, and to be specific and humble about that, to get the log out of your own eye. The third G, he says, is to gently restore. Gently restore. Sandy says that as Christians, we can bring up serious offenses maybe that other people have brought against us. But he says to do that very carefully. We need to weigh, is this truly something that I need to bring to them? 
Or is it something that may um, exacerbate or cause more conflict? So is this truly something that I need to bring to them? And he says to remember that this comes after getting the log out of your own eye, realizing what you have done to cause conflict, and confessing on your part to then go to the other person to gently restore. And then the fourth G is to go, to be active, to go and be reconciled. He says to ask God to change your heart so that you can genuinely forgive someone and that the relationship can go on. Hopefully, especially if it's someone who is close to you, that you can uh, forgive and then not move away from them out of a, a sense of discomfort or anger, but that you can forgive, be reconciled, and then come back together uh, in relationship and in a, a healthier relationship than a way it was before. Sandy says that we can't do this alone, that conflict is too hard, that life is too hard to do this alone, that we need help. And this, again, is where God comes in, what Jesus taught us in John 14, where he said he will send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth, to be a counselor or advocate in our times of need. He describes a little bit about the Holy Spirit here, and especially in these chapters around John 14 to John 17, a lot of description as Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit. But even in this short passage, he says the Holy Spirit is truth, helps us to understand the truth, that he lives in us through Christ. When we accept Christ, that God will send the Holy Spirit to live in us. And living in us, the Holy Spirit can advise us and give us counsel. The Holy Spirit reminds us of Jesus' teaching so that we can follow it and obey it and even have peace. And as people of peace, we need to be forgiving and show peace to others through the Holy Spirit. There's a lady who lived most of last century who was a great example of this forgiveness and reconciliation and peace and even, even needing God's help to be a person of peace. Her name was Corey Tinboom. You may have read some of her writings. She was a Christian writer who, as a young woman, she was similar to Anne Frank. She was arrested by the Nazis and sent to a concentration camp in World War II. She and her sister Betsy had a strong Christian faith. They shared Christ, and they snuck uh, small pieces of the Bible into the uh, barracks in the concentration camp where she was, and they read the Bible and prayed with the other ladies that were in their barracks. While in the concentration camp, both her father and her sister died. After the war, though, Corey Tinboom was freed, and she went back to Holland, where she was from. And God was working on her to share her story of faith as she helped others who had also been imprisoned by the Nazis. In 1947, she was doing a lot of speaking about forgiveness and about her faith, and she was speaking in a church in Munich, Germany. She saw in the crowd a guard from her concentration camp and he symbolized all that was evil to her. Here's how the situation went, according to Corey Tinboom's own words. It came back with a rush, the huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. 
Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. And this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he, here he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he said, I've become a Christian, and I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did. But I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Will you forgive me? And I stood there. I, whose sins had every day to be forgiven, and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds when he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. Jesus says, If you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what their physical scars. But those who nourished their bitterness remained invalids. It was simple and horrible as that. And still I stood there with a coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. Forgiveness is an act of the will, says Corey Tenboom, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, this incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I cried out, I forgive you, brother, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so as intensely as I did then. Corey Tenboom went on to say she still struggled with dealing with forgiveness and reconciliation after some of the horrors of war she had seen, but God had helped her to be a peacemaker, not only in that moment, but in, any, in many other moments as well. Since it is Memorial Day weekend, I thought of another great example of peace from that World War II times. It is Private Desmond Doss, who was recently made famous by the movie Hacksaw Ridge that came out in the last year. Desmond Doss is a true story enlisted to help America in its fight against Japan in that war. He wanted to serve his country, but he said over and over again he wanted to save lives, not to take lives. He wanted to be a peacemaker 
as a Christian young man. He said that he wouldn't carry a rifle or even lift a fist in anger, but he went to the front lines in a horrible, terrible battle in Okinawa, Japan. And I looked at showing a scene from that movie, but the scenes I wanted to show were too brutal and too difficult to show here in worship. So here's a picture and a line from the movie, from the actor in the movie, Desmond Doss in Hacksaw Ridge. And he said this is true, that he would say this after the battle, one of the battles at Okinawa. As the Americans retreated, he was left behind, behind the lines, and was able to save, true story, miraculously, 75 men who had been injured. Who had been injured. And he would say over and over again, please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me get one more. And as the movie goes on, you see the men around him change their minds from thinking he was a coward because he wouldn't fight to seeing him as a man of faith and a man of peace and a, man, and a hero. Desmond Doss' peace helped change the minds of the men that he served with. And the people around him learned that a person of peace can change harshness or anger into respect and kindness. And for his service, Desmond Doss was awarded the Medal of Honor by President Harry Truman in 1947. Here's a picture of the real Desmond Doss receiving that medal. Well, those things are a little bit far away in talking about peace and how we might experience that or extreme examples of, of Christians living out peace. But we need it to be closer to home as well. And just recently, I was challenged to think of some things in new ways and how I might try to learn uh, more about being an instrument or a person of peace in my life. And I was challenged as well. Just earlier this month, I had some time to think about that as I attended our presbytery meeting with four of our current elders, and our presbytery holds uh, several times a year regional meetings. This past month, it was in uh, Indianapolis at Witherspoon Presbyterian Church. If you don't know where that is, it's just about seven miles south of us, right on Michigan Road at 51st Street, so a little different neighborhood than it is here. Now, Witherspoon is a predominantly black church, and that day the members of their church hosted us, and they were so incredibly gracious in welcoming us and in serving us lunch, uh, one of the best welcomes, I believe, that we've had at a presbytery meeting. But the main speaker and the panel discussion were more likely to make me uncomfortable, and our elders as well, because the topic that morning for a couple of hours was race, more specifically, racism against African Americans. And the speakers shared what racism was like even here in Indianapolis and what it felt like as they shared some specific stories when they have been discriminated against. Now, I, I struggled and wrestled with some of the things I heard, but as time went on and several of us who had been at the meeting met the next week to kind of debrief it and share our feelings because we had strong feelings about it, and we learned from that day. And the most impactful statement I heard that day, and also to one of our elders as we were sharing together, was when the keynote speaker asked us a simple question. She said, what do you see when you see a young black male? Do you see a thug, a criminal, or a gangster? Or do you see 
a child of God? Do you see a thug, a criminal, or a gangster? Or do you see a child of God? And that question made me think. It made me ask some questions of my own. Do I judge others by stereotypes or labels? Even what does someone think of when they see me? Do they see a rich, privileged, white male? Or do they see in me a child of God, made in God's image? How do I look at others? And how do people look at me? So I felt like I learned that we can be instruments of peace, persons of peace in two ways. First, we can begin to see people the way that Jesus sees them, as children of God made in his image. And then second, we, begin, we can begin to walk with people side by side, hand in hand, experiencing together some of the things that they do as they experience some of the things that we do. Jesus was much this way as he lived his life. He reached out to those who were hurting, who were lonely, who were sick. He treated rough fishermen, tax collectors, Samaritans, prostitutes, and lepers with love and grace. Even though we may see people who are broken, hurtful, and sinful like we are, we can see them as God's children, just as I am as well, a child of God. We all know there's been much talk of Mexican and American relationships over the last year or so. And I'll tell you up front, I love America, and I, I, I love my country. I feel very blessed to live here. I get choked up when I sing the national anthem many times, like the time when I was on my son Jacob's eighth-grade American heritage trip when we went out east, and we went to Baltimore, and we went out in the morning to Fort McHenry, where we raised, we helped to raise the flag. And there at Fort McHenry, then as we, rose, it was, we raised the flag, we sang the national anthem. And it was in the spot where Francis Scott Key originally wrote the words to the Star-Spangled Banner during the War of 1812. And so I have tears in my eyes and then streaming down my cheeks. And so my son Jacob, being eighth grade, said, why are you crying? And I'm, it's just seasonal allergies, that's all. You know, I'm a little choked up. So, but it was. No, I was crying, being in that historic place and feeling a sense of love for my country. But I would say over the last 20 years, I've grown to love just as much the people in Mexico, and specifically in a couple of cities along the Texas-Mexico border, especially those who are some of the poorest of the poor in Reynosa, Mexico. So is there some violence and sin in Mexico? Yes, absolutely. There's still violence there, even in Reynosa from the drug cartels who bring that violence about. Is there sin and evil there? Yes, there is. But I find that most of the people that we get to know, it's not their fault. They're not the makers of violence. They're the victims of living in a city where there is violence. But I've learned over the years, even as a Christian, even as a pastor, how to walk into those situations a little bit better. Here's what faith ministry that we go with in the brochure that they send to all their participants. Here's what they say when you travel to Mexico in their words. Travel with a spirit of humility and with a genuine desire to learn more about the people on your journey. Be sensitive to the feelings of other people. 
Cultivate the habit of listening and observing rather than merely seeing and hearing. So listening and observing more than hearing and seeing. Acquaint yourselves with local customs. People will help you. It's a great line. People there will help me there. And so when we get to go there and we do work, we do some construction, we lay concrete block and mix cement, and I get to work side by side with some Mexican teenage boys as well as some older women. And they put me to shame. They work faster, harder, and better than me. And they show pride in their work. And so I learn about pride in your work and skills that I don't have as I work side by side with them. But similar to what Jerry mentioned last week as Christians, as they went to Barcelona, Spain, and ministered to people there who were immigrants from the Middle East who living in Barcelona, we get to go and teach them maybe about hope and about peace, that we come in as, as a sense of peace and hope as we get to build a couple of houses for people who are in desperate need of receiving a home. Now, this year, I felt I learned even a little bit more about peace. On the last day when we were leaving and I get in the mode of we're ready to go and I got to get my crowd, I got to get everybody together and we're in three large vans, one of those big 15, I'm driving one of those big 15 pasture vans and I've got everybody in the vans and I'm ready to go. So I've got my window down, I'm going to back out of the church courtyard and I'm getting ready to actually look back and pull away when Sammy, and here's a picture of Sammy. Sammy's about 20 years old, a, a young guy that works there in Mexico and he has an infectious smile and Sammy rushes up to my window in the van, and he steps up on his toes, and he puts his arms inside the van to smile and to give me a hug. And I'm not even sure if he said anything, because he speaks English, and I, he speaks Spanish. I speak English. I don't speak very good Spanish. But he gave me a hug. And in that brief moment, there was a sense of peace between this young man there in Reynosa, Mexico, and between me, this uh, white American pastor from the Midwest who doesn't do construction very well, and we had a sense of peace and love and grace shared by brothers in Christ. It was a very meaningful moment for me, which I do not forget. And as we speak of peace, my favorite song, if you haven't heard this before, when I go there is Unidos Unidos. I'm not going to sing it for you today. I've sung it for the church staff, but uh, I'll, I'll bless you by not singing it. But I translated the words, actually got them off the internet, translated early this week. And we have them here for you, and we'll close with this. We sing this together with Mexicans and Americans there in the church during the week several times. United, united, in your name united, for in this world peace and love we will have. United, always united, holding hands, we will go around the world singing to God. The glory of Jesus will finally shine, and the world will fill with love and peace. Let us pray. Lord, you are the giver of peace, the giver of life. We even read in your word in the prophet Isaiah when he says that your son will come who will be the prince of peace to give us peace that passes all understanding. Lord, help us to receive that peace in our lives, to receive it in our own anxiety, our own stress, whatever is going on in our lives even this week, and then to share that peace with others, to be peacemakers, to get the log out of our own eye, to bring about reconciliation and to glorify you. Help us to see people around us first as children of God, even this week as we meet someone who's maybe different than us, to see them as a child of God, 
to walk side by side, and to be instruments of peace. Help us, O Lord, in Christ's name to do this. Amen.